This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Uh, I'm going to, I believe, conclude today <clears throat> talking about my life, my responsibility. How many of you have been here for at least the, the first or the second uh, part of this? I know a lot of you have. And, um, and so I'll do a, do a quick recap um, of, the, of the first two parts of this. And obviously last week, Dr. Leon was here, so, um, so um, I'm going to conclude today. So anyway, uh, we're talking about responsibility, and, and this is a word that we don't like to hear a whole lot in our society today. Responsibility has kind of become a bad word. A responsibility is the state, of fa- state or fact of being accountable or to blame. And we don't like being accountable, and we don't like being to blame, Right? Walk in and ask your, your, all your kids, who did it? Wasn't, I didn't do it. I didn't, it, it. Blaming everybody else, right? It's not my fault, right? We don't take responsibility. We don't like to take responsibility for anything. It's also the thing, a thing that one is required to do as part of a job, role, or obligation. How many of you would say, as far as roles in your life, you have at least five roles in your life that you fulfill? Come on. I mean, seriously, we all do. And there's obligations and responsibilities that fall under each one of those roles, right? So what is taking responsibility? It's basically acknowledging the fact that we, I, am solely responsible for my choices in life. Not blaming my past, not blaming what my mama did or my daddy did or what they didn't do in my life or the opportunities I had or I didn't have or, or you know, whether I've got a lot of friends or how much money I've got or whatever. It's taking responsibility and saying, I am the one responsibility for my choices in life. And no one wants to be responsible today. So what we find is that people either don't commit to anything, which is much of what we see in our society today. Nobody wants to commit to anything. Or they just simply blame everybody else for everything that goes wrong in life, right? Instead of taking responsibility and going, hmm, maybe I made a bad choice back there. Maybe I took a wrong turn. We don't ever want to say that, right? How do we take responsibility for ourselves? Eliminating blame, eliminating excuses. Personal, and here's the thing. Personal responsibility is really the bedrock of our faith. Everything we do in life and everything we do in our walk for God, it's all about personal responsibility. Even, as we talked about last time, even in seeing God's promises being fulfilled in our life. And this is the way it was from the very beginning, right? In the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam certain expectations. He was expected to follow these, to walk them out, or there would be consequences, which we, are, we suffer those consequences today, right? God expects us to take responsibility for our lives. Talked about one who is unwilling to work shall not what? Shall not eat. We can't evade personal responsibility. It comes, in our walk, comes down to our walk with God. I gave you four things that first week. First thing, uh, four thoughts re- regarding our spiritual responsibility. One, number one, God has done all he's going to do. Remembering that everything that God was going to do for us, he did at the cross. And everything after that is our own responsibility. We've got the ball. The ball's on our side of the court. The question is, God's looking at us and saying, what are you going to do? Second thing I gave you is, we're not waiting on God. He's waiting on us. If God's done everything he's going to do, if he's poured out his love, if he's poured out salvation and redemption, if he's poured out his promises, again, it boils back to us. We're not waiting on God to do something. He's done it. He's waiting on us to get our lives in order and get into alignment with his word and what he says. The third thing I mentioned was our growth is our pursuit, not God's. Guys, growing in God is not something that's automatic. It's something that takes time and effort, right? Talked about it's like a physical trainer. You can go get a physical trainer and try and get you in shape. And he can point you in the right direction and show you how to get there and where you need to be. But if you don't do the work, you're not going to get there, 
right? But we like to blame it. Well, I had a physical trainer once, but that didn't do me no good. Well, let me tell you, it probably wasn't the physical trainer's fault, right? True? The last thing I gave you was, if we love God, we will pursue him. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And guys, that's basically what it all boils down to. That's hard sometimes, but it's really the truth, and it's all about responsibility. Um, Last time, two weeks ago, I talked about my responsibility when it comes to God's promises in my life. And I talked about how in the Spirit-filled church, we love to talk about God's promises. We love to pray, and we love to claim them. And, you know, they're mine in Jesus' name. But the reality is we have responsibility when it comes to seeing the manifestation of God's promises in our lives. And I gave you three thoughts on that, three thoughts on responsibility in regards to God's promises. The first one was to realize that God does not withhold good from his children. God's not withholding going, you know what, I was going to answer their prayer today, but, you know, I, I heard that bad word that came out of their mouth in traffic. I saw, the way, I saw the way they treated their spouse, and so I'm not doing it. It doesn't work like that. God did all he was going to do at the cross, right? He did it all. What, him, him coming through for us is not based on our actions. God's not waiting to bless us, to heal us, to prosper us based on how well we did today. If we believe that, then we're looking through a wrong perspective. And really, it can lead people to the idea that they're not good enough. Does that make sense? If God's withholding. And that's kind of what I ended that statement with last time was, if you find yourself in a place in life as a follower of Jesus where you're stressed out and you can't find peace, you can rest assured that God is not withholding peace from you. It's not him. Okay? Second thing I gave you was, number two, most of God's promises are conditional. As followers of Jesus, we've been grafted into the family of God, right? And we've come into a great inheritance. However, there's generally requirements to receiving. And in God's Word, we talked about how most of God's promises, when we look at them, they're if-then statements. If you do this, then I will do this. I gave you some examples. If you trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land, feed on his faithfulness, delight yourself in the Lord, then he shall give you the desires of your heart. But we love to just quote, Lord, you promised to give me the desires of my heart. But we forget about the first part. James 4, 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. If you submit to God, if you resist the devil, he will flee from your life. James 4, 8, if you draw near to God, he will what? He will draw near to you. Luke 6, 38, give and you will receive. Romans 10, 9, even talking about salvation, if you confess with your mouth, then you shall be saved, right? John, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, then God is faithful and just to forgive us. John 15, 4, if we remain in Christ, then he will remain in us. We don't want to take responsibility. We just want to claim the promise and claim it as ours in Jesus' name, but we forget that we always have a part to play. There's always a give and take in the midst of the whole thing. The last thing I gave you last time was we don't chase God's promises They should follow us. We love looking for formulas to get what we want, but the reality is the formula to seeing God's promises in our life is knowing his word and doing what it says. That's all there is to it. If It's walking to him and trusting him no matter what our eyes see, following him, allowing him to lead us and to guide us to a place where we can receive. So when we're walking, when we're walking according to God's word and we put our trust in him, we don't have to spend a whole lot of time praying and begging for his promises to be fulfilled in our life. What we're going to see is the more we walk with him, the more we're going to see his promises being fulfilled in our life automatically behind us. Does that make sense? 
We were never meant to chase after God's promises. They should be chasing after us. And so I want to conclude today, and I want to just talk about my responsibility when it comes to my everyday life. And you should have in your service guide, you should have gotten a note sheet. You can follow along there. You can also follow along in the YouVersion Bible app on your Android or iPhone or whatever it is that you've got. And uh, all the notes are, are listed out in there, and you can add to them and save them and whatever you want to do. But my responsibility when it comes to my everyday life, and this kind of, to me, this kind of brings it all together. And, you know, I wanted to kind of start with this. When it comes to our responsibility, it really boils down to two things. It boils down to Mark chapter, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 22. And I can sum up that whole passage with these two things on the sides of the wall here. It says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. This is what we've been talking about the last two times we got together talking about this. This is about loving the Lord our God with all that we are. But there's a second command that's equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everybody say, love your neighbor as yourself. And it says the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. That's why we have them on our walls. Somebody was trying to trick Jesus. What's the most important commandment? He said, you know what? There's like 600 of them. I'm going to give you two. If you keep these two, you'll keep them all. This is what it's all about. And so we, the whole love God, love people, we, that's what we've been talking about. We kind of already covered our responsibility spiritually before God and receiving God's promises in our lives. But understand, I, before I move on from that, you know, it also, it, it, there's a little more to it. I think it also means that we have to take responsibility for what God has placed in our hands today. That's part of our walk with him as well. We forget about that sometimes. We have to do everything in our life as a worship to God. That's part of our responsibility. And we've got to realize that we're to be good stewards of what God's placed in our hands, and we're to grow what God, if we're good stewards, we're going to grow what he has placed in our hands. Does that make sense? And I, we, we love to talk about that, you know, we're talking about finances, but guys, this applies to every area of our life. This applies to our marriage relationship, this applies to our work, this applies to, this applies to everything. Whatever God has placed in our hands, we're to be good stewards of it, and we're to grow it. That was the good and faithful servant that's talked about in the parable, right? The one who did something with it, God had given him, and grew it, and made more. Um, so we've really kind of talked about that, loving the Lord your God with all that you are. And so, you know, so as we talk for a minute about loving your neighbor as yourself, because really, that is... That, that's our responsibility in our everyday life. That's what it all comes down to. The Message Bible says, love others as well as you love yourself. How many of you know we can love ourselves quite a lot? We can, we can love ourselves quite a lot. It doesn't matter how deep a depression we get in and how much we seem to dislike ourselves. There is still a lot of self-love in the midst of it all. I'm going to read you something. Any of you ever heard of, um, of John Piper? He's a, I, I like reading his stuff. He's a, he's a Baptist. He's, he's considered a Baptist theologian. And uh, I love reading some of his stuff. Don't always agree 100% with some of the things that he, that he talks about. But, but, but I love kind of the insight and some of the stuff the Lord gives him. And I want to read you a little bit. He's got a blog called Desiring God. And I, I read back uh, a little while back. I had to go back and look this up. But I remember he, he had written a blog talking about what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. And he was kind of talking about this self-love thing. And so I wanted to just read to you. Y'all just hang tight with me and, and listen to this for just a minute. He said, what Jesus is saying in effect is, I'm going to start with your inborn, deep, defining human trait, your love for yourself. 
Everyone without exception has this human trait. All of you have a powerful instinct of self-preservation and self-fulfillment. You all want to be happy. You all want to live and to live with satisfaction. You want food for yourself. You want clothes for yourself. You want a place to live for yourself. You want protection from violence against yourself. You want meaningful activities to fill your days. You want friends to like you and spend time with you. You want your life to count in some way. All of this is self-love. Self-love is the deep longing to diminish pain and increase happiness. And this is where Jesus starts when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Even suicide is pursued out of this principle of self-love. In the midst of a feeling of utter meaninglessness and hopelessness and numbness of depression, the soul says it can't get any worse than this. So even if I don't know what I will gain through death, I do know what I will escape. So suicide is an attempt to escape the intolerable and is in fact an act of self-love. Now Jesus says, I start with this self-love. This is what I know about you. This is common to all of you people. You don't have to learn it. It comes with humanity. My Father created it, and in and of itself, it is good. To hunger for food is not evil. To want to be warm in the winter is not evil. To want to be safe in crisis is not evil. To want to be healthy during plague is not evil. To want to be liked by others is not evil. To want your life to count in some significant way is not evil. This was a defining trait before the fall of man into sin, and in itself, it in itself is not evil. Does that make sense? As we... We can tend to love ourselves a lot. We, we many times will go to unlimited lengths to get what we want and what we think brings us happiness, can't we? I mean, we can spend money we don't have, right, <clears throat> to get what it, was, what it is that we want that we think will bring us happiness. And we know that people will go on to lie and cheat and break up marriages and even commit crimes to get what they want, and what they think will bring happiness and fulfillment. Isn't that true? Let me give you one last paragraph, one last thing he said. He said, Jesus commands, as you love yourself, so love your neighbor, which means as you long for food when you're hungry, so long to feed your neighbor when he's hungry. As you long for nice clothes for yourself, so long for nice clothes for your neighbor. As you work for a comfortable place to live, so desire for a comfortable place for your neighbor to live. As you seek to be safe and secure from calamity and violence, so seek for comfort and security for your neighbor. As you seek for friends, so be a friend to your neighbor. As you want your life to count and be significant, so desire the same significance for your neighbor. As you would that men do to you, so do to them. I think that wraps it up pretty good, don't you? We've got to love our neighbor as ourselves, And this is basically, to me, it's about coming to a place where life just isn't all about me, Right? It's equally about those around us. And it's not wrong for life to be about us sometimes. You know what? Sometimes you've got to eat. <laughs> you just do, right? Uh, sometimes life, life, life is about us, but it should be equally about those around us. So what is our responsibility before God when it comes to others, when it comes to our everyday life? What does that look like? And I just broke it down into real briefly into uh, kind of the priorities of our life. So number one, if you look in your notes there, you can fill in the blank. Number one is family. Family. And look, here's the, here's the thing. We could, we, could, we could do a whole conference and write books on this. So this is brief. All this is simply to make the point that we have responsibility in our everyday walk before God, okay? And so just talking about our families, what does the Bible say when it comes to our family? The Bible says that we're to lead our families by example. We're to lead with righteousness and with a passion for the Lord. We love to, when we talk about family, we, we automatically turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And many times we start 
especially as men, we start in, in verse 23, where it starts talking to wives, which is, was none of our business to begin with as men. Uh, but really what we forget about is verse 21, a couple verses earlier, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for God. That's where it all starts. It's about submitting to one another. It's about honor and reverence and respect for one another in our marriage. We know that verse 23 is talking to wives. We know that verse 25 is talking to men. But I'm going to read you something. I, we, we had a men's breakfast. I mean, we had a ton of guys show up for the men's breakfast out at Spirit Church last weekend. We had a great time. But I read this. I, I'd never seen it before from the Message Bible. And this is the, the part talking to men. And I'm just talking about this is our responsibility, men, and going all out for our wives and, and uh, you know, as far as um, our position where God has placed us. In, in the Message Bible, verses 25 to 28 say, Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love that's marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. Her, his words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring out the best in her, dazzling her, addressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And this is how husbands ought to treat their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in this marriage anyway. Guys, we've got to go all out in our love for one another. And you realize, this is something I mentioned to the men a couple weeks ago, if we did this one thing, if we honored and respected each other just in our marriage relationships, you realize that the divorce rate would plummet in this nation. If we did just this one thing and just loved our spouses unconditionally, the divorce rate would plummet and 90% of our marriage issues would be resolved and most children now would grow up in homes with a father and a mother. And I guarantee you, just that one action, this entire nation would change. It would look completely different in one generation if we took responsibility in this one area and we submitted to one another in love in our families. Usually, when you see a couple having marriage issues, constantly ongoing, can't ever get resolution, can't ever get an agreement, usually their children are a mess as well. True? And one of the greatest responsibilities we have in our home is to raise godly children in the ways of the Lord, right? Ephesians 6, 4, fathers don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Where do we get that? We get that from his word, right? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, all scripture is given by inspiration is profitable, and this is what we're giving our children, doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction for righteousness, that the man or daughter, the son or daughter of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We have responsibility when it comes to our family. And listen, our kids, they, they need to see us pray. They need to see our trusting God in our everyday life. Sometimes we, I, I see families and I see, you know, the, the husband and wife kind of, they kind of serve the Lord on their own, but that doesn't translate in any way down to the kids. Guys, we've, we've, got, to, we've got to show our kids, they, we need to demonstrate for them our walk with the Lord so that they can see it and they can walk it out on their own. They're one day going to have to take responsibility for their own faith. Amen. It's our responsibility also to encourage them. Martin Luther said, keep an apple beside the rod to give your child when he does well. We have a responsibility. God, listen, we need to have our children in church every time the doors are open. And I, I don't understand that anymore. And it's sad. Our society, they say that, they say that um, the average church attendant in the United States now comes through the doors once every four to six weeks. I'm sorry, but if you do that, your children, they're probably not going to serve God. Because they weren't given the example. Listen, our children, our children, when they are, they're growing up, they in many ways equate church with God. So if we put little importance on the church, 
As they get older, they're going to put little importance on God. It's just the way it is. And we wonder why, as the generations have progressed since, you know, before the baby boomer generation and on, less and less kids are growing up to serve in the church as adults. We, and you know, in thinking about this, I've never understood when families where, where the parents said, well, I don't, I don't make my kids come to church because I want them to make their own decisions. We make them go to school, and, and God is even more important. You know what? They're going to have to take responsibility. They're going to have to decide one day whether they're going to follow the Lord or not. They're going to come to that place. But if we truly believe that it's important that every person has to receive Jesus, we are desperate to see the world come to Jesus. It starts with our own kids. It starts with our own children. That's why at Church of the Arts we put such importance on investing into our young people. Um, and talking about young people, kids, youth, young people, Ephesians 6.1, we know. Our, your parents probably make you quote it. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this, man, I think I had to write that when I was a kid. I'd write this 25 times. <laughs> right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment of the promise. This, this is our responsibility. And really, let me say this too, it's not our responsibility just when we're younger. It's our responsibility when we get older. It's not our responsibility only if our parents serve the Lord. This is our responsibility. We're all children of somebody. You may have had great parents. You may have had horrible parents. God still says, honor your father and mother. Doesn't mean you can necessarily be around them all the time if they're toxic. But it means that we can honor them. And, and we can respect them, give the honor that God has, has, has told us. Um, it says, and we do this first commandment of promise so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on earth. We have responsibilities in the family. And I, I don't want to spend a whole lot more time on the family, but, um, you know, I, something I mentioned to the men a couple weeks ago, and I think we mentioned two weeks ago in, in Sunday morning service, what about providing? What about providing for the family? I had mentioned to the men that I remember back during the, the crisis in the economy a number of years ago, I remember there was some different men who, who, you know, just could not find a job. I can't find a job. I remember a couple guys were out without jobs for a couple of years. I'm going, what do you mean? There's, there's, you can't get a job. Are you putting out applications? They'd say, yeah, I put out applications every day. You can't find anything to do to provide for your family? I remember telling one guy, I said, I know, I know McDonald's is hiring right now. They're hiring. Uh, well, I'm overqualified for that. Uh, that that's, not, that's not the kind of job I'm looking for. I, need, I, got, I got skills that I need to, it's like, our responsibility is to provide for our family. So go get two fast food jobs, even if you think it's beneath you. We get up and we fulfill the responsibilities that God has given us. And if that's, we got to do what we got to do for certain periods of time. Does that make sense? Um, and we, we know it says, you know, in, uh, in first, it says those who can't, won't work, don't eat. In 1 Timothy 5, 8, those who don't care for their relatives, especially those in their household, have denied the true faith and are worse than unbelievers. Proverbs 13, 22 tells us to be a good steward because we have to, it says, if you're a good man, you're going to leave an inheritance, not just to your children, but to your children's children. We're to be providers. And listen, if our, if our family is following that biblical example of what a family should be, if we're all stepping in and we're fulfilling our roles and our responsibilities for God, guys, people are going to be envious of what we have. They're going to be coming to us and saying, what's going on? I, I've I don't know if I've told, told it in a while, but I remember the, one of the first houses, the first house me and Shauna had in Olive Branch, and there was a lady down the road that, that Lauren would play with their daughter, but she played with her in our yard because we knew there was some drug activity and some stuff going on in the house, and it didn't look real healthy. 
And so, yeah, yeah, Lauren can play with her in our yard. You know, I was like, come right on down here. And anyway, that went on for months until one day the mom came down. We were out in the front yard with the kids, and they're playing, and her daughter's in it, and she comes walking down, and she's in tears and said, my whole life I've wanted a family just like this. My whole life I've wanted this. And I just thought, Lord Jesus. And Shauna takes her into the kitchen and leads her to Jesus. It was just like, we didn't have to preach the gospel. We preached the gospel by simply being who God said to be. Does that make sense? So in our family, we have responsibility. The second thing I want to give you was the church. We have responsibilities when it comes to the church in our everyday life. And you would say, well, doesn't this fall into our responsibilities, you know, our, our relationship with God? No, not really. This, this isn't what I'm talking about. This is, this is different. I, you know, there, there's, we live in a society today where people, I, I hear more and more often, it's sad. I hear people say, you know, I love God, I just hate the church. And they got their list of gripes against the church. And you know what? I'll give them some of them. Because you know what? We're just fallible human beings. Sometimes we make bad decisions. Sometimes we make bad choices. We don't always say and do the right thing, right? And there's some areas, I think, as the church, especially in this nation, I think there's some areas we need to grow up a little bit. And we need to take responsibility. But the Bible tells me that the church is the hope of the world. And it's as the church that we're the bride of Christ. And when I go to looking in the New Testament, I don't see one example of a New Testament believer refusing to be a part of the local church. What you see is the Lord was adding daily to the number that were being saved. And as they would come to Christ, you know, immediately after conversion, they would get plugged in because it, it was the thing to do. People who had settled the matter of salvation, they got baptized, they began following the commands of Jesus, and they got plugged into the local church. And you know what? They met daily, every honking day, every, every day. And we're getting together once every four to six weeks in the church. You get what I'm saying? Every day. I was like, man, if you think you, think you get tired of people in church sometimes when you come every four to six weeks, imagine every day being with them, right? <laughs> this just tells us that, guys, this has got to be important. And as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I'm not even talking about our relationship with the Lord. If we're coming to church expecting this to be the place where we grow and, and we receive, this is where we receive our word, then we're coming for the wrong reasons. It's not about, this is about responsibility. Because in this nation, we got this idea that we come to church seeing what we can get out of. Well, I, we've had people come before and say, oh, you're welcome. You, you, you know, what do you think of service? Well, it was good and stuff, but we're just kind of shopping around to different churches right now, seeing what different ones are like, you know, trying to find one that, that, that we, we enjoy. And it's like, man, where's the point when we pray and say, God, send me to a local body where you want me to serve and you want me to invest? Because that's what it's about. It's not about what can I get out of it. Did I get anything out of service today? Did I? What did you invest in somebody sitting next to you this morning? We should be looking for a place to invest with the gifts and the talents and the things that God's placed within us. We're looking to give out. We're looking for that opportunity. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says, And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
That tells us we have two responsibilities when it comes to the local church. Number one is don't stay away. Everybody say it. Don't stay away. Don't stay away. Second one was what? To encourage one another. There's one of our primary responsibilities for being here. We're to come together in fellowship, the gathering together, the saints together, that we can be an encouragement to each other. We can draw the good things, the talents, and the giftings. We can draw those out of each other in Jesus' name. And realizing that the church, the church is a family. And so in the same way that we expect our children to contribute to the home and the family, God expects the same thing of us. We're not to ride the bench. We're to play an active part. We're to be contributing members. Look, anybody can show up once a week for a 90-minute get-together and then go home, go about their own path in life. Guys, we're called to more than that. We have responsibility to jump into the church and to pull our weight. It's our responsibility to faithfully do the work of the organization of the local church. When we hear there's some sort of need, we need to jump up. We need to serve. We need to give. We need to contribute. We need to give whatever it is that we've got to meet those needs. It is our responsibility to faithfully support and lift up the local church. This is our family, amen? We know, I don't want to spend a lot of time on giving, but the Bible says it's our job to faithfully support the ministry of the church through giving. We know Malachi, bring your full tithe to the treasury, temple treasury, so there's ample provisions in the temple. And we know some people say, well, it's not New Testament. Well, look at Luke 11.42. Yeah, it, it is. Even Jesus mentions it. He, he says, yes, you should tithe. So I, I don't want to get stuck on this because any of you who are members, you know our family's position, and uh, you know that <clears throat> it's, it's important to us not because, not because the church needs your money. Um, look, I mean, there's ministries out there that are, that are doing very well. Uh, you know that Sean and I have worked three or four in the past 10 years, three or four different side jobs in the last few years. That we, we realize ministry is not something to get rich off of, right? It's not about that. It's not about taking advantage of the money. It's about trusting God. And that's what we're expected to do with our money. We're expected to trust God with our money and support the ministry of the local church. And we have over and over again in our families, we've seen God supply when it seemed like there was no way. And the one thing that we faithfully did was give. Never held on too tightly to what God had given us, but we were willing to give it away in a moment as God so directed. So we believe that's important in the local church. And, uh, and I, last thing I want to mention when it comes to the church, it's our responsibility to bring people into the church. That's why we got those banners up over the doors, guys. Each one reach one. We recognize that if each one of us reached out to one person in the next year and pulled them into the local church and got them serving, if it was our church, we, we would double in size in one year. It would increase our influence and our scope, our reach. If we just did our responsibility and we reached out and we did what, what it says when Jesus was talking in Luke 14, 33, going to the highways and the hedges, compel them to come in, that my house would be filled. That's our responsibility when it comes to the local church. So that's number two is, is the church. Third thing I want to mention to you is our community. <clears throat> our community. And folks, you know, our lives should be such an example of Jesus that everywhere we go, it should be like we have a name tag on that says ambassador of heaven. Everywhere we go. 
Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what does that look like? What's it look like being that, being that example in the community? I, I just grabbed a couple of scriptures. 1 Timothy 5, in verses 1 through 3, it says, Never speak harshly to older men. Appeal to him respectfully as you would your own father. Talk to younger men as you would your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother. Treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. Take care of any widow who has no one else to care for her. This is just loving people, right? James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. As followers of Jesus, we should be following his example in our community of meeting the needs of those around us. <clears throat> we should help take care of the helpless. We should be helping take care of the poor. We should visit those <clears throat> that find themselves rejected and alone. We've got to lead the example in taking care of our communities in every way. You realize it's the, it's the church's responsibility. You know, we look at different systems in our nation today. I think I mentioned this maybe a year or so ago, but <clears throat> I read an article that was talking about our welfare system. You know, our welfare system in many ways is so broken and, and the sad part is, you know, I, I know there's people for periods of time that need it, but there's so many other people that are so taking advantage of it. And I, I talked last time about the guy, the, or the surfer they interviewed on, uh, on the CBS News. who um, they, they just talked to him, and, and what they found was he was living out of his car. He was receiving a welfare check at somebody's house. And each, each, each month he would go and he'd collect his welfare check, and he slept in his car on the beach, and he surfed all day and would go get a good meal at a restaurant once a day. And he's like, you feel right about this? And he's like, yeah, I feel right about this. I get to surf every day. And it's like, you've got to be kidding, right? But in this article I read, it was talking about how really what happened was this was, this was the church's responsibility to take care of people who were needy. And what happened was during the Great Depression, everybody got scared because there wasn't enough to go around. And the church, especially in the United States, who, that had always given, 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 all of a sudden got fearful and held on and quit taking care of those who were in need like they had before. And all of a sudden, the government, U.S. government, standing there going, uh-oh, we got a problem. We've got a lot of poor people. What are we going to do? Suddenly, instead of God's people taking care of those who were in need, suddenly the United States government gets involved. And the government's trying to fulfill a role that it was never meant to fill. It was because the church failed in a moment. The church chose to hold on to fear rather than trusting God and doing what he said to do. Does that make sense? We've got to lead by example. We've got to take care of our communities in every way. <clears throat> I, love what, I love what Michael Taylor said this morning about picking up trash. Uh, last week, Sean and I were at a, at a store over at, at Pleasant Hill. We, we were walking up to this store, and there's this older couple walking up next to us. And I, I don't know. They were, I, I don't know, maybe 60s. And come walking up, and I see the man stop, and he shakes his head as he looks down at a piece of trash. Oh, y'all in your 60s, I apologize. I see you. <clears throat> um, this, he's walking up, and he looks down, and he sees a piece of trash, and I just saw him shake his head, and, he, and it, it, it was a bunch of stuff. He reached down and picks all this stuff up, and he walks over to a trash can, and he goes to throw it in, and something spilled out as he did it, and he just like, Phew. and he, you know, and he, he walked in. He walks in next to us, and, and, uh, and I, I just looked at him, and I, I said, good for you, man, <laughs> and he looked at me. He's like, what? And I said, thank you for doing that. And Deshaunna goes, I think you just warmed my husband's heart. That's his pet peeve. And, uh, but I thought, how many people do that? Who even cares anymore? As believers, we're supposed to. We're called to be excellent at what is good. 
We're called to be good stewards. We are. Everything that comes out of us should be shining examples of Jesus. Listen, at work, people should be in awe of the peace on our lives. And they should come to respect our work ethic. And they should come to expect the utmost integrity from us because we're shining examples of Jesus. And because, unlike them, we're not doing this just for a paycheck. We're doing this as a worship to our king. And that changes everything. What does our community see when they look at us? Um, <laughs> good, the person's not here today I'm going to talk about. Um, <clears throat> he's a friend of mine. I'm not going to mention his name. He probably wouldn't care. But um, y'all, y'all know, some of y'all have some of the Church of the Harvest vinyl stickers on the back of your car. There's a, a friend of mine here in the church, and I, I said, hey, man, you want one of these stickers for your, for your new car? And he looked at it, and he said, hmm. He goes, no. <laughs> he goes, I, I'm, not, I'm not very nice in traffic, and I speed a lot, and I'm afraid of what people will think about our church. <laughs> and I thought, I thought, well, at least you're honest, you know. At least you're honest. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> Go rip yours off now? No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> What does our community say when they see us? Romans 13, 1 through 3 says, Be a good citizen. All governments are under God. Insofar as there is peace and order, it's God's order. So live responsibly as a citizen. If you're irresponsible to the state, then you're irresponsible with God, and God will hold you responsible. Duly constituted authorities are only a threat if you're trying to get by with something. Decent citizens should have nothing to fear. Guys, where's the place where we... I I tell you what, I know so many people that have gotten off social media because they're tired of all the crud that's out there. Where's the place where we stop criticizing our government? Maybe you're criticizing this administration, but many of you criticized the last administration. And many of you criticized the administration before that and the one before that, right? Where's the place where we do what God's word says and we pray for our governing officials every day instead of being critical every day, instead of putting trash messages that gets everybody worked up and upset every day on Facebook and Instagram. Where's the point where we stop? There may be some of us in this room. If we'd stop criticizing for a minute, we'd realize that God called us to run for a political office. Maybe we're supposed to run for aldermen in our community. Maybe Maybe we're called full of the Holy Ghost and power to step up and make a difference. But we won't stop criticizing long enough to hear what God says. We have to be responsible when it comes to our community. We've got to be shining examples of Jesus. That's all I'm going to say on that because I'm going to hit this last one. The last one is our world. Our world. <clears throat> As the world is a big place. Man, it is in chaos right now. John 17, verse 18 in the Message Bible, Jesus said, In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. As God holds us responsibility for the world as well. Matthew 28, 19, 20, y'all know this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Sharing God's love is... Look, how many of you would agree that our lives are very busy? 
And many times, it's hard to see outside of the scope of our own arm's length. Does that make sense? All we see is what's going on immediately right around us. And so that makes it very difficult for us to understand people that are outside of that reach, especially people that are in different cultures, that have different perspectives and different things like that. It's very hard for us to look and to see and to understand because we're so consumed with what's going on right now in our immediate environment. Do you agree with that? There are people in the world that are starving. And most of us have never seen that before. Except for some of them sad commercials and we change the channel real fast. (sighs) There are people starving. There are people rejected. There are people neglected. There's people suffering in war-torn areas. And it's so far outside our reach that we think we can't make a difference. But God's called us to take responsibility and to step up and do our part. And look, I believe that we need to, as we've talked about up here from this platform before, we need to support foreign orphans. We need to give to organizations like Compassion International and different ones like that. We need to, you know, I've known people that couldn't have children. Man, support and, you know, adopt. Adopt some of these orphans and some of these children that are out there, you know, in the world. We need to, we need to fight for justice. Now, you know, things are not just in many, if not most places in the world today. We live in one of the blessed, most blessed countries on earth. But while in many ways we have given more than any other country's given, we also are really good at turning a blind eye to what's going on in the reality of things. Um, doing our part, you know, part of that is, sure, it's part of that is bringing attention to, uh, to what's going on and... Um, you know, it may be that we need to, maybe that we need to contact our politicians. Maybe we need to get involved in organizations that are making a difference. But we've got to quit turning a blind eye and we've got to start taking responsibility for some of these things. You understand what I'm saying? You know, I, I believe that every believer at some point in your life, I believe that every follower of Jesus ought to go on at least one missions trip in their life. Go to another country. I'm not, I'm not talking about going to the Bahamas and sitting on the beach, Okay. I'm talking about, you know, I, I've, I've, I've been on four, I've led three missions trips to Jamaica. And everybody was always like, ooh, Jamaica, how not? Yeah, right. You know, the Queen's Highway goes around the island of Jamaica. It's a British settlement. The Queen's Highway goes around. And around that highway, there's resorts and beautiful beaches. But you go one block inland from that highway, and it is some of the worst third world conditions that you will ever see. Some of the saddest stuff, everything that you see on TV in these, these terrible countries, you know, in Africa and all this stuff where people are starving and dying. and Yeah, it's like that. Go into the Blue Mountains of Jamaica and see what, you, see what you see. I believe that every Christian at some point, you can be uncomfortable for a week. Oh, I'm not called to missions. You can do it. You can do it. Go see how most of the world lives. Trust me, it'll change you more than you'll change them. You'll come back with a different, you'll come back with a different perspective. Find out what it really means to trust in God. The Christians in these other countries, they're trusting, in, trusting God in ways that we, can't, we, we, we haven't begun to yet. We need to support world missions. Maybe you've gone on a missions trip, maybe you haven't, but I believe that we all should be supporting um, world missions. You know, as a church, we support Dr. Leon, Global, Mission, Global Ministries and Relief, Global Missions and Relief, and you know, he's, he's got doing ministry all over the world. We, we support Phil and Sharon Smethurst with Overland Missions. They're going where nobody else will go to just to spread 
the gospel. They're also meeting needs. So is Dr. Leon's ministry. They're, they're digging wells and giving people fresh water. And even that we can't imagine, guys. You know, you think, well, they, they, they've, got, they've got the well. Well, that's great. I, I remember um, seven years ago when we were in Africa, we were in um, Zambia. I remember being there at one of the wells. And there were women coming up. It was the women who would generally come for the water. And they were walking five and six miles at least once a day with five-gallon jugs to fill up with water. So even digging the well, we can't imagine having walked five to six miles for clean water. Just incredible. We also support Lou Chelley's organization, Joseph's Cope, which is feeding, feeding orphans and, and, and hungry kids in, in Africa and such. You see, you know, we, we, just, we just can't begin to imagine we need to get involved with some of these organizations. We need to keep up with. We need to read their newsletters. We need to support them. Because how many of you know that's going to be counted to our credit when it comes to eternity? There's going to be thousands and thousands that are going to say, thank you for helping make a difference in my life. Thank you for saving my life just because we helped and we, we supported through a, a world missions organization. As we can't turn a blind eye, we've got to take responsibility. We've got to take responsibility. And what was the first one? Our family. Oh, second one? The church. Third one? Our community. And the fourth one? The world. Let's stand up together. Let's bow our heads. Actually, don't bow your heads yet. I want to read you one more thing as you stand up. And I, I read this a couple of weeks ago, and I read this to the men at the men's breakfast. Ephesians 4, verses 15 through 16 from the Message Bible. And this is how I want to conclude the series on responsibility. It says, No prolonged infancies among us, please. What's he saying? Grow up. Don't be a baby. That's what, that, that, that's what Paul's telling us. Well, that's a gentle word, isn't it? Quit being babies. We'll not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are easy marked for imposters. God wants us to grow up to know the whole truth and to tell it in love like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flows through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God and robust in love. That's what it's all about. We've got to quit being one side in our relationship with God, expecting Him to do everything and us not willing to do anything at all. We've got to step forward and say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you say to go. And that's scary for some of us. <laughs> I know people who are missionaries now say they were afraid to surrender to God because they felt inside that God was calling them to the mission field to go to Africa. I don't want to live in Africa. <laughs> Sometimes we're afraid to, to uh, say that to God. God, whatever, whatever, whatever you say to do, I'll do it. How I many of you know most of us, we're not called to go off to some other country. We're, we're called to serve right in the communities that we're in. We're called to serve and be an example of Jesus in our workplace. And maybe first and foremost in our families, be an example of Jesus. Maybe we just need to start right there. Where's the point where we stop making excuses for where we are in life? When we choose to take responsibility for who we are in Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Guys, I think I've said enough about responsibility. Let me say that God is a God of fresh starts. Our God is the God who makes all things new. Our God is a God who has empowered us to do everything that he's called us to do. 
So none of this is bad news. We were called to this responsibility. We were empowered to this responsibility. And in this responsibility that we're filling before God, we will find our satisfaction. Sometimes we spend so much more time searching for it in so many different places. But our satisfaction is found in doing what God called us to do. That's the only place we'll be truly happy. Where's the point that we believe it? All God has given us is today. Where's the point that we stop making excuses and we take responsibility for what God says? The place where we don't just know God's word, but we believe it and we live it with every step and with every breath. What's it take for God to get our attention to bring us, to get us to that point? Point we take responsibility for our side of the relationship before God. I want to conclude as we always do, talking about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. None of this matters if your life isn't surrendered to him. And guys, this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Though we were dead in our sin, though we failed in so many ways in life, our God is a God of fresh starts. And it all happened when he cut covenant with us through his son, hanging naked on a cross for the world to see. He took our sin and our shame and our guilt and our pain, took it upon himself and he took it to the grave. So those things that maybe you're carrying today, they're not even yours to carry. Jesus already took it. He says, if you'll just surrender, if you'll just surrender, make him Lord and master of your life, he'll take all those things that you weren't meant to carry and you'll be able to walk in freedom and you'll be able to live out your God-given destiny and do what he's called you to do. Imagine that, doing what we were created to do. Man. But it all starts with surrendering to Jesus and saying, Lord, I'm no longer going to live my life for myself. I give up my selfishness. I give up even my dreams and the things that I've aspired to that are outside of your will. I lay them all down at the foot of the cross. And instead, I say, Lord, may your will be done in my life. As I always say, it's not about it's not about a prayer. We, many of us, we've prayed a prayer of salvation, but we don't see anywhere in the New Testament that anybody was prayed a prayer to receive Jesus. They simply made the decision that they were going to follow him all the days of their life, and they begin to walk like Jesus. They begin to live the way he did, and that's what made them his followers. And it's the same for us today. If we believe in our hearts, in who Jesus is, that God is who he says he is, and we receive that sacrifice as our own when Jesus hung on that cross and died, We repent, we change our ways, and we choose to follow him. The Bible says that we will be saved. It's a decision of the heart. It's a heart position. With every eye closed, if that's you, and you firstly would say, maybe you would say, I've never received Jesus. I I, I recognize the fact I never have. Look, I recognize that about 17 years old, even though I had grown up in the church, I had never made my faith my own. 
And I came to a place where I realized I had never truly surrendered my life to Jesus, even though my life kind of looked like it because I grew up in the church and I knew how to walk out the motions. I'd never truly surrendered my life to Jesus and God just brought it face to face with me and he just said, you've got to make this your own. Maybe, you, maybe you're in that position, you realize you've never made your walk, the walk with God your own. Maybe it's been family tradition. Maybe it's just been, that's just kind of what we do in the South. <laughs> I don't know. We go to church on Sunday, but you realize that you have never truly surrendered your life to Jesus and said, Lord, not my will be done for one more day. Yours be done from here on out until I take my last breath in Jesus' name. If that's you, with every head bowed and you would say, I need to surrender today to Jesus, whether it's for your first time or your 30th time, this is your moment. Who would say that? I need to surrender my life to Jesus. Lift your hand for me to see. Yes. That's two. Who else would say, I've got to surrender to Jesus today? That's three. Anybody else would say, I'm done living for myself. I'm taking responsibility from this moment forward. I'm going to be accountable and responsible from my life, and I'm surrendering to Jesus. All right. We are going to pray the prayer, but again, it's about the position of your heart. So right now, before you pray, I want you to think about this. I want you to focus on the Lord. Think about the sacrifice. Think about the price that was paid. As he hung on the cross, it was you on his mind. He did it for you so that you could live in freedom, so that he could bridge the gap back to the Father. It was all about you. So just position your heart in this place where you say, God, whatever you have for me, I want it. Whatever you tell me, I'm going to do it. And if you pray this and you mean it with all your heart, the Bible says you become a new creation and all things become new. We're all going to pray together. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending Jesus. In my sin and in my shame, you didn't leave me alone. You didn't leave me hopeless. You sent your son to take that sin and shame and to take it to the grave. And so today, I choose to make that sacrifice my own. I receive you, Jesus, and I declare that you are Lord of my life from this day forward in Jesus' name. Not my will be done, but yours be done in my life and through my life, in my family, in my church, in my community, and in my world. Holy Spirit, fill me, empower me to be everything that you've called me to be. And I will serve you all the days of my life until I take my last breath. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all give the Lord a shout of praise this morning. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.